T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Are black cats jinxing NFL football games? And why are gray beards being covered up by men across the country? We'll dive into both of those discussions on a Tuesday home and home. We are radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check out ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Full show for you on a Tuesday. Pete Thamel. Yahoo Sports joining us to break down the upcoming college football playoff rankings revealed tonight and a fantastic doubleheader to start the college basketball season. That should be a beauty. Can't imagine any sport starting better than that. Also, who is Florida State? What are they? Who are they looking for? for their next head coach and reaction from the Dallas Cowboys win on Monday night football from our friends at one Oh five, three, the fan in Dallas. Are they a pretender? Are they a contender? They seem to shift back and forth throughout this season. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut, Ross Tucker home from the Monday night football game in Pennsylvania, where he survived a near death experience We're going to get into the black cat situation in just a moment. But first, I'm just happy to see you alive on a Tuesday, Ross. Tell us what happened. I was afraid for your life. Well, I'm glad you said it that way, Dave. It it was touch and go for a while there. Um, You know, sometimes the good Lord blesses you with certain ninja-like skills that you don't even realize that you have. I was on the sideline last night. In the third quarter, Daniel Jones was running to the sideline. I'm always very conscious. I have no interest in getting a torn ACL or torn Achilles. So I'm always very conscious. But Daniel Jones was almost out of bounds. I mean, and he was just strolling, going to run out of bounds. I was ready, but he was just jogging out of bounds. Everything was okay until... I think it was Xavier Woods. Everything happened so fast. But I think it was Xavier Woods' safety for the Cowboys gave him just a little shove that Daniel Jones wasn't expecting. And that, Dave Briggs, is when all hell broke loose. I immediately turned, went and ran the other direction. Daniel Jones came for me. I high-stepped. I got hit in the side of the hip. I almost went down. Some may say it was shrapnel. I almost went down. I absorbed the blow in my thigh hip. Used that to propel me through the air. High stepped with great athleticism. Landed, stuck the landing. Turned around real quick and helped Daniel Jones up like the gentleman I am. I may have been helped a little bit by a parabolic mic guy that got absolutely destroyed, (laughs) flipped up, spun around the air, and took most of the Daniel Jones brunt. That might have helped me a little bit, 
But frankly, it was survival skills that go back generations and generations in my family yeah. that allowed me to survive and be here today to talk with you all. You know, I mean, we always pay service to our troops to put themselves in harm's way to defend our country. But Ross Tucker, the bravery you have represented, you have served yourself with on the sideline for Westwood One on a Monday night. Your sacrifice is admirable. I just want to say kudos, sir. Bravo. Uh, by the way, I thought that your Madden rating should go up. Not sure what it is right now, but thanks to our crack staff here at Home and Home. Turns out you did have a Madden rating in 2005. It was a 74. So I think given the moves last night, the maneuvers, you should easily be pushing for 75 or 76. Nice job, my friend. Nice job. Ross Tucker working sidelines, by the way, for those of you that did not know it, on the Monday night football game at MetLife Stadium between the Giants and the Cowboys, one that looked to be going the Giants' way, all the Giants' way, early on in this one, divisional competition. This one won, I think, five straight going in by the Cowboys. Nine to three it was. Late in the second quarter, about five minutes left in the half, when all hell broke loose. Kevin Harlan with one of the great calls in recent football history as the black cat appeared and changed everything. Listen. He's walking. He's walking to the three. <laughs> He's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And the cat is elusive, kind of like Barkley and Elliott. But he didn't know where to go. Look at, they're trying to corner him. And they got him in the end zone. There are state troopers all around this cat, which now climbs up into the stands. And the fans are running for their line. Now it goes back on the field again. And it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. Kevin Harlan, your broadcast partner, is a national treasure factored in a sponsor read there in the red zone, compared him to Saquon Barkley. I mean, this is just absolute brilliance. We don't see calls like that often. Really only one guy that's known for them, whether it's a streaker or an animal or a guy that needs to be tackled on the field. Kevin Harlan's the master, Ross. Well, it was awesome because obviously, you know, I'm, I'm part of the broadcast. So it was Kevin was play by play. Kurt Warner uh, was the color analyst, and I was on sideline. By the way, little factoid, Dave. Last night was the first time the Giants had a quarterback other than Eli Manning start against the Cowboys since October 10th, 2004. And the quarterback Oof. was Kurt Warner. Kurt <laughs> Warner. By the way, Daniel Jones was seven. Daniel Jones was oh. seventh that day. Kind of crazy when you think about it that way. That's bizarre. But yeah, it was funny to be there. And you know, it's you know, just to take you in the mindset a little bit, Dave. <clears throat> I live in Pennsylvania. I actually live in central Pennsylvania, like the Harrisburg Hershey area. So when that cat's out there, my initial yeah. reaction is keep playing, keep playing. No need to slow anything down. He's way down there. And he was in the end zone. They had to play where I could see the cat, and they played anyway. 
But then one of the D linemen for the Cowboys pointed at the cat when the cat was at the other 30-yard line. Like, oh my gosh, we can't possibly have this snap right now 40 yards away. There's a cat 40 yards down there. Let me just say a couple things, okay? Number one, the cat is not going to get down there amongst the 22 giants, okay? The 22 men on the field. (laughs) The cat's not going down there. Number two, if it does, I don't think a player is going to be the one getting hurt, okay? And (laughs) there's no way I can say this nicely, especially after I just realized that Dave Briggs owns a black cat. So I won't (laughs) say what I was going to say earlier about said black cat. Other than, does anybody really care? I mean, it's a stray black cat that evidently lives underneath the stadium. You know, I mean, let's just keep it moving. Keep it playing. Uh, But it was funny to be, you know, on headset uh, when Kevin had the call. He even went further in detail than that. It It was pretty amazing because he's amazing. I will say this, though, Dave. The Giants were up 9-3 and they were going in for a touchdown. Everything changed after that. Everything. They had to settle for a field goal. Then, and there was barely any time left. Then they let Blake Jarwin have like a 50-yard touchdown right down the hash, right down Main Street. And then Daniel Jones, they throw two incompletions rather than going into halftime with a 12-10 to lead. Two incompletions, and then Daniel Jones throws a pick while the Cowboys still have all three timeouts. They end up getting a field goal from it. But much like the Dolphins against the Steelers a week ago, just seeing the body language, I could have told everybody and their brother that the Giants were going to lose that game at that point. I was on the Giants' sideline. They were so deflated. It's 9-3. They're about to go in for a touchdown. Everything changed after the Black Cat. I knew the Cowboys. Cowboys end up going into halftime with a lead, 13-12, all thanks to the Black Cat. Jerry Jones even commented on the black cat after the game. There are people that are wondering whether or not Jerry Jones released the black cat during that game. And there's a lot of other things we can get into about that. Well, look, it was the black cat. I don't know why people don't want to give the cat credit for changing everything. And I don't own a black cat. I captured the cat because this is not mine. I captured the cat because you couldn't, Ross Tucker. You had a chance to be a hero. This is the cat. MetLife Stadium tweeted out that they were going to capture the cat who was under the seats. They were going to get it to the vet. That was nine hours ago. They haven't followed up on that tweet. So I went to MetLife Stadium early this morning, captured the cat. Does he have a comment about turning this game around and ruining things for the New York Giants? He has no comment. He has no comment whatsoever. All right, beat it, cat. Thanks for playing along. I think you had a chance to be a hero, Ross Tucker. My instincts would have been capture the cat. Seize the moment. It would have been a breakout day for home and home. Did you even think for a second maybe I should make a play on the kitty? You know what? Um, I kind of like screen time. Um, And I think that would have been that, you know, think about the attention that Kevin Harlan is getting with his call. Can you imagine if I went out there and ran out there and tried to capture the cat? Legend. You blew it. You blew Legend. it. You're right. Oh, dude. You're right. So, Dave, I get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to peel back the curtain a little bit here, okay? 
<laughs> earlier in the game. And if you check out my Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL, he's at Dave Briggs TV. We are at RDC home and home. And the platform is at RDC sports radio.com sports. So here's the deal, Dave. It, yeah. I have a couple game. I have a couple little games within a game when I, when I'm at a game, especially when I'm on sideline. Okay. Game number one is to try to get as much TV time as possible from the sideline during the radio broadcast. There was one time when I think it was Amari Cooper ran an out route and he and Janora Shingas were coming right for me, but I have no interest in an injury, none. And I know how fast they can get to you when you're on the sideline and you're kind of flat-footed. So Janoris and Amari Cooper came. I backed up three steps real quick. Step back up right when they, they they got past me. Step back up, and there's a picture of me. I'm about a foot away from Janoris Jenkins as he goes like this to the crowd. And I I got uh, some people posted that on Twitter. They saw me, Ross Tucker sighting. Then, obviously, we talked about the near-death experience in the second half. My other thing that I love to do is see how fast I can get out of there at the end of the game. So during the game, try to get as much TV time as possible. After the game, as soon as I interviewed Zeke Elliott for Westwood One, I throw my headset off, drop my mic for the sideline producer, sprint into the locker room, the media photographer room, grab my bag, grab my keys, sprint out to my car, get in the car. I listened to the last 37 minutes of the post-game show in my car, driving back to Pennsylvania. Record time. It's the little things in life that matter. And you're right. I'm mad at myself. I should have gone Ah. after the black cat. That would have been, even if I didn't catch the black cat, me just running around trying to get the black cat would have been legend. How about me trying to get the black cat with Kevin Harlan on the call? Oh, I was going to call you. Literally, I'm watching this cat thinking, where is he? Where is he? Make a play out there. You would have been part of football history. That baby would have been viral. Millions of hits on YouTube. Next time it happens, you're going to thank me because you're going to make a play on that cat, dog, pigeon, squirrel, whatever the heck it is. Maybe it's a streaker. I don't know. Next time you will make a play. In all sincerity, let me ask you this. If I went down there and tried to chase or catch the cat, they wouldn't kick me out, right? Like if I, I was just doing like a public service. I don't think so. I think they would have let it go on. And I think I think the security would have joined you. Hilarity would have ensued. And clicks would have followed, my friend. Next time, you will make a play. But meanwhile, the New York tabloids ate it up. Uh, Daily News went with the uh, meow And that's a runner-up because the New York Post really hit it out of the park. Kitty litter is what they used as a headline. And the key is, after Black Cat shows up, Cowboys dump all over the Giants. Bravo to the New York tabloids. Let's hear from Jerry Jones and the Cowboys stars about the influence of the Black Cat. I haven't seen one glare at me that far away before. I know he was looking at me the whole time he was out there, but uh, 
uh, things did kind of change when that black cat came out. Did, did you think it was lucky or unlucky at well, the time? I thought it was, uh, well, it was just according to, I, I was measuring the time whose bench he's in front of the most right there. But, uh, but uh, it did seem like it perked up a little bit after he made his comment. What, what uh, was amazing to me is how few people wanted to go grab him. I can't figure that out. Uh, no, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think that's when it turned around for you guys. Uh, if a black cat runs on the damn foot field in it, and uh, on a uh, Monday night football game, a black cat, like you might want to call it quits, bro. Like y'all luck is terrible. So um, yeah, it was just bad luck, um, and yeah, that was it. Or good luck. I, I hate cats too. You know what? I was kind of happy about that because that's around the time my, my knee was hurting, so I was like, I have a little bit more time to try to get this thing right. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, I just was wondering who was going to catch the thing. Uh, I wasn't getting close to it. Um, I'm not uh, superstitious or anything, but uh, I wasn't getting near it. And uh, thank thankful we got that thing out of the stadium and was able to get back to the game. <laughs> Jerry Jones, Zeke Kelly, Demarcus Lawrence, Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, all asked about the cat, all with terrific reactions. By the way, Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, he did notice that cat, and he said it was staring at him the entire time and made him feel a little bit uneasy. It felt get, like Dak was – yeah, go ahead. I know you got one well, more I, word. I want to jump in on that. Um, yeah. It, it is a little creepy. Like the eyes of that thing <laughs> – it was a little creepy. And when they showed it up close, I thought it was like, it looked big. I thought it was like a bobcat or something. I mean, it looked big. Can I just say something? What, like, tell me about, tell me about that cat you have. Like, what is, Look, I mean, what is the value that that thing's providing for you? And I will family? tell you the cat, the value of the cat. And I am a dog man. I don't know if we've discussed this on the program. I am 100% team dog. We have a cat for the mice and whatever else. That's the only reason we have a cat. Although I will say the kids really enjoy the cat. And the cat, this cat is a little unusual in that he pets you. He will lay on you and literally just press his soft little pads into your chest and show affection. So for that, I admire the cat. Beyond that, team dog, don't get the cat's uh, other than the fact that they remove the mice, which is clutch, Ross. We have a lot of mice out here. You know, we got a lot of stuff going on around us. Keeping the mice out is very important in my home. All right. I can see that. Like, my, my yeah. wife and I are not pet people. So, uh, Wait, no dog? No, no way. No. I'm a little uncomfortable now. I feel like we should have figured this out before we agreed to host a show together. I mean, uh, let me just say, I, I people love their pets, and I totally respect that, totally understand that. It's a member of the family. I would just say, kind of like Patrick Mahomes, when I do the cost-benefit analysis of a pet, it's it's dicey. It's dicey. Um, you're trying to wait, watch wait, wait. TV. You're trying to watch TV, and they're like slobbering all over you bothering you um you have to pay money to feed them you have to take them to, for walks so that they poop and then in in return maybe once a month you go to some field and throw a stick or a frisbee i'm just not seeing the equation here 
Once a month, you go to a field oh, and throw I... a stick or a Frisbee. Okay, that's kind of nice for that one day a month. Every no. other day, every other day during the month, you have to feed them and take them for walks and give them attention. And they bark when you don't want them to bark. And I, I, I just, I don't see it, Dave. I don't see it. I promise. I promise we're going to get to football, but I am disturbed <laughs> about the type of human being you are. You are a wretched, awful, heartless, soulless, cold, unnatural human being. You're un-American. I don't trust a human being that doesn't like dogs. I should have figured this out before we agreed to host a show together, and I would have been out. I like you, man. We agree on almost everything. But a human being that runs the cost analysis of having a dog and determines that the only reason to have a dog is to throw a stick for them once a month is missing something. There is some genetic quality that just was pulled out of you and somehow your wife too. And you're normally a good father, but in this case, you're a bad dad. Have you ever asked your beautiful, young, lovely daughters if they would like a dog? Because I guarantee you the affection they would find is more than walking a dog to let it poop every day. Every day when I walk through my door, first thing I get is a hug from my seven-year-old girl, which is the only reason to live a lot of days. And the second thing is my dog just needs the same hug. He's jumping up. He wants some love. He wants to try to lick the face every single day. Even if I go run errands for a couple of hours, I get home, I get affection. If I'm sitting on the couch watching a game, I love that dog sitting on my lap. We will meet Cooper, the greatest dog on the planet later in the program. Now that I know what a wretched, vile human being you are. I don't well, understand deal, it. Dave. Here's the deal. I just don't get it. Here's the deal. No, did you really run a cost-benefit analysis? No, my wife would never have a dog in a million years, and I'm on yeah. board with her. It's not oh. a cost-benefit analysis. But everything I just described is kind of how I feel about it. My wife and I are not dog people. And unlike you, we want to devote our time and energy to our daughters. We want to have our daughters be the sole focus because we're good parents and we love them. We don't need to be giving time, care, love, and attention to animals. We have two human beings that we are trying to give all of our love attention, and care to. So while you're taking the dog for a poop or you're cleaning up the kitty little litter or whatever, I am spending quality time with my children that you will never get back. May not have occurred to you that quality time with your kids and the dog is the best kind of quality time. It was my kids that asked for the dog and I, quite frankly, can't imagine my life without a dog. I have had a dog for as long as I can remember and I will always have a dog and I will always question your character now that I know you're not a pet guy. Do you even have a fish? Why would you have a fish? A fish, okay, there's no fish. value. Yeah, you're right. What, 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 we what, have what, fish. What, what, we have fish and I don't get them. Pigs too? What, do you have hamsters no. or guinea pigs? No, we have a couple of fish that we replace every time they die to fool my seven-year-old. I run to the, <laughs> to the pet store. I replace them. I pretend that they changed a little color or That's got a, a little lesson. bigger That's or a little a smaller. Oh, child too. Fish, fish are ridiculous. 
fish are that that we can agree on. No one should have a pet fish. There's absolutely no reason other than those really cool big giant tanks that cost thousands of dollars that I cannot afford. I cannot get past this. We're going to have to weigh in on this on future home and homes to come. Ask guests about it. My belief in you as a human being has been forever rocked. Okay, now back to football. And I don't believe it was actually the black cat either, but you can't ignore the fact that the game turned dramatically before and after the cat. That's more who the Dallas Cowboys are. They score 4.6 points in the first quarter on average this year. They score nine and a half points per quarter in the fourth quarter. They're a late starting team. Look at the last couple of games, uh, three of the last four weeks. So they started 12-3 down to the Giants. They started 21-6 down to the Jets and, of course, famously lost that game. They started 31-3 down to Green Bay. And you can't do that when you have Zeke Elliott, when your offense is built around the fact that you have to establish the run. Now, it's, it's working for them thus far, minus a devastating loss to the New York Giants. But is this a fatal flaw for a team with Super Bowl aspirations starting late when you need to establish Zeke and the running game? Well, it's not a good sign. And what's crazy about it is the Giants could not stop Zeke. And I have no idea. I mentioned it several times during the game. I have no idea why the Cowboys didn't just run outside zone every single play. If you ever watch when it's a lateral play, I don't know what Booger was calling it or whatever, but stretch play, whatever. They get the whole defense moving laterally and trying to stay in their gaps that they're in, in responsible for. And then Zeke Elliott puts his foot in the ground, gets upfield. I don't think there was a play all night when they ran that that they didn't get at least seven yards. And I must have said three or four times during the game, I don't know why the Cowboys don't just keep running outside zone. But they refused. They, they refused. They would have won that game going away if they had done that. They ended up winning by a lot. There's a lot of reasons for that. The Black Cat obviously being chief among them. But the Giants' red zone woes. Do you realize, Dave, the Giants kicked four 20-yard field goals? Four. God. Four field goals that were less than 30 yards. I mean, you can't have that. You can't do that. Uh, the Giants had so many opportunities to win that game. I know people that just see the score are like, what? Giants had so many chances. But then Daniel Jones threw that terrible pick. The fumbles in the second half. Uh, you know, bad teams do bad things like that. I still think overall Daniel Jones is going to be okay. Uh, but the Giants, you know, they don't get the ball to Saquon Barkley in space enough. By the way, how fast did he look on that screen pass? <sighs> that screen. I mean, he goes 0-60 to 60 faster than anybody. I mean, he's not the best running back right now. Christian McCaffrey and Zeke Elliott are. Yeah. But Saquon makes NFL players look the worst at times. Like, they look like they're almost in slow motion when he really gets it going at times. But it's not, a good, it's not good that the Cowboys start slow. But I thought overall Dak played well. They couldn't stop Zeke. Michael Bennett, 
uh, paid more dividends than Leonard Williams did, the two D tackles that were traded yeah. for. And ultimately, you know, the Cowboys still ended up pulling it out on the road. Solid win. Uh, and they got a big game next week against the Vikings. I think they're one of those. I think there's three buckets that I always view teams on a Sunday or on a Monday night. Got better, stayed the same, got worse. The Dallas Cowboys, in my eyes, didn't change. They are who we thought they were. They are a team who can be really, really good, really, really bad. They appear to have fatal flaws. Can't imagine them beating the New Orleans Saints. Can't imagine them beating the top teams in the NFC when all is said and done. San Francisco 49ers can't imagine them doing that because of these fatal flaws. Um, but uh, let's listen to, Zach, to Dak Prescott real quick before we move on about these slow starts and how they overcome it. From the beginning of the game, did it get a little scary for you guys in terms of you know how you started out a little bit there, Dak? No, I don't think scary is the word for that. Um, we're a confident team. We're a team that... Um, even even when we're fighting adversity, even when we're getting in our own way and, and struggling a little bit, um, we have confidence, we have faith in what we're going to do. We know what we're able to do. And uh, tonight was another example of that, of, of wiping all the stuff that we've done bad up to this point um, after a few drives. And I want to say, what, with two minutes left in the first half, able to get some points and get things rolling and um, change the game from there. Now they can overcome it against the New York Giants. Not sure they can do it against Minnesota next week at Detroit will be tough. That team can put up some points and then at New England in three weeks. They are five and three. They are in first place in the division. Things could be a lot worse, but they've got to fix that problem. All right. Yep. Uh, let Go ahead, my friend. Well, no, I'm with you. And I'm also with the folks at ZipRecruiter. You know why? They don't just wait for candidates to find you. They go out and find them for you. My girl, Gretchen Hebner, Codable co-founder, discovered that. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. They don't depend on candidates finding you. They find them for you. The technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I got to upload my resume because I'm going to need a new job now that I know my co-host doesn't like dogs and does not have a heart. We will find I out. Like if dogs, Pete I like I like I like dogs. Once once a month, I would love to be in a field with a dog. Once a month, frisbee or a stick, that'd be great. All right, we're, we're going to continue to discuss this today. I promise. And when we come back after a real quick break, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports joins us with the unveiling of tonight's college football playoff 
rankings. Pete, I'm sure, has a leak. He already knows one through six. And also an incredible tip-off to the college basketball season after a quick break. Let's talk about some college football playoff rankings tonight. They're unveiled between a fantastic doubleheader to tip off the college basketball season. Also, Florida State looking for a new head coach after firing Willie Taggart. $20 million fire. Let's talk about it all with Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. Pete, good to see you. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. We're going to get to all that. But first, I need to know what type of human being you are. Okay, so this is an important moment in your life. (laughs) <laughs> this this is everything for you in my eyes. How I will see you forevermore. Are you a cat guy, a dog guy, or neither one? I'm gonna say neither one. I've never had a God. pet in my in my in my four decades on earth. Oh. God, what's wrong with Pete, you? Why? You are the man, Pete Dammel. This is why he's a regular guest. Dave, <laughs> Pete is a very God. smart guy. I am a very smart guy. We understand the value or lack thereof. Pete, I love it. Dave, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a single guy. I travel 175 days a year. I can barely like feed and clothe myself. Like I just can't. I, I don't have it in my capacity to have a pet. Okay. I actually feel better about that. That is a reasonable explanation. You couldn't, uh, having a dog would be abusive. Even having a cat would be not cool. You'd have to have some creepy person down the hall, come take care of your cat, they're in your house. I don't get that. But don't don't you think it's a little odd that Ross Tucker has two daughters, married man, big yard, big house, all that, no pet? It is bizarre that he, he carries his media schedule like he does and lives where he does. It, it really like is set up for the pet, <laughs> right? Like... It's like I'm living in central Pennsylvania because of my family and my pet. Like that, that it fits the, the Ross Tucker narrative. But I, I don't know. I'm not in the Tucker house. I'm not going to start judging people on their, like, their family <laughs> hey, you know situation. What's funny? You know what's I can funny? I'm going to break down the college football rankings. I'm not going to break down Ross's, like, <laughs> household hey, you know, situation. Um, I, I, I will. Pete, you and I are sharing a brain. By the way, my <laughs> daughters would like a dog. It's never happening. My wife, <laughs> my wife is. Uh, my wife is very OCD, so the idea yeah. of a dirty dog and uh, shedding and all that stuff gives her the heebie-jeebies. Plus, like I said, um, unlike Dave Briggs, we really care about our children, and we like to focus on them and have the attention be on them and their needs as opposed to animals. So um, parent of the like year is pretty fish, much a good way to describe it. Would you go goldfish? No. <laughs> no, no we, we agree on that. We no animals. That. No animals. Hey, speaking <laughs> of animals, Pete, uh, college football teams have mascots. That's about as good as I can do for a transition or a segue right there. Very smooth. Uh, usually the mascots are animals. <laughs> yeah, pretty terrible, actually. Not great. All right. Not great. Smooth operator. All right. So how important in your mind, Pete, are the initial college football playoff rankings that come out tonight. And what do you expect them to be? I actually don't think they're very important at all. Uh, There are like context clues that can provide value for five, six weeks from now. But 
for the most part, I think this is just sort of like network partnership. We'll give you some rankings. We'll give you some embrace debate topics and we'll engage our fan base. Like it's sort of just to me like a mega marketing move that gets overreacted to every week for, for a few weeks. Like we'll, we consider I talk about where Alabama and LSU rank. It doesn't matter. Whoever wins is going to be one or two in the following, you know, in the following week. And whoever wins SEC is going to get in the playoff. So um, I mean, there are some small things like for the race for four, where does Oklahoma end up? Uh, how, I, there are so many teams that have just played brutal schedules um, in, in, in when you look at it. And the, the thing I guess I'm most interested in is like Baylor should be ahead of Oklahoma, right? Because they at least have like a road win at Kansas State. But they played just a like crimes against humanity's bad non-conference schedule. They, they had a non-conference schedule praying to get to six wins for a bowl, not to be in a uh, not to be in, in any kind of uh, any kind of a playoff chase. So it, when, when you look at teams like Alabama has not beaten a team that's currently ranked, Clemson has not beaten a team that's currently ranked, and then the two Pac-12 schools have not beaten teams that are currently ranked. We are going to get uh, a pretty interesting litmus test on scheduling. So I think how the committee views that is going to be probably the most interesting thing about it. But I don't really, I don't like get passionate about these early rankings. It's something to talk about and really not much more. So can we agree, Pete, and, and, and Dave, I want you to chime Can we all agree that Oregon should be ahead of Oklahoma? And even as this thing plays on, Pete, the Penn State-Ohio State loser and the LSU-Alabama loser, they should also be ahead of Oklahoma. I mean, LSU's playing at Alabama. Penn State's playing in a few weeks at Ohio State. If they lose those games, they should still be ahead of Oklahoma, who lost to Kansas State. It just doesn't seem like it ever works that way, but that drives me crazy. Uh, I do, I do agree. Like if you look at the, the, the body of work for the, the one loss teams, I mean, Oklahoma doesn't have any good wins because the Texas win really doesn't mean that much anymore. Now Baylor is shaping up to be a, a really important game on November 16th. Baylor should be in the, in the top 10 or the fringes of top 10 of this poll, like at least based on the fact that they have one, what we would deem quality win going up and winning at K state, which Oklahoma couldn't do. So I would think all rational signs point to Baylor being ahead of Oklahoma, right? Like, am I? Do you guys disagree with that? No, I don't. No. I, I'm I'm most interested in where Oregon falls in this because I feel like they're the ones who feel to me like they're going to get robbed, despite a pretty impressive body of work, good defense. Boy, do they rip USC? They can put up points. I think Oregon's an underrated team. Uh, Want to move on to the situation in Tallahassee? FSU moving away from Willie Taggart uh, through his second season, not even through it yet. Twenty million dollars they had to raise to buy out he and his staff. Who is Florida State today? I think we're used to the Bobby Bowden uh, seminal picture from so long ago that was top five for 14 straight years. Who are they now? What type of coach can they attract given the economics? So I'm going to give you guys some breaking news today. Uh, it's not going to be Bob Stoops, so stop talking about it. That was like the buzz of Twitter last night. And the reason why it's not going to be Bob Stoops is the reason why it's not going to be a ton of other high-profile coaches um, that they would target and covet. 
So Bob Stoops, when he was at Oklahoma, had one AD and one president the entire time. That may have changed with the president, like right at the end. I don't even think so. I think it was for however, like almost 15 years Bob Stoops was there. He had the most aligned, stable, and supportive administration. And the more you, the more I've, the longer I've done this, and the more I've gotten to know coaches and ads, they they talk about alignment more than it's more than it's lip service. They talk about alignment like it's a real thing because they know they need that stability to go forward. Florida State has no stability. It's it's being run like like a bandit Saturday Night Live sketch, uh, 1980s college football program. Like there is like the the meddling seminal boosters with the shadow AD. There's an interim AD who came from the campus side. He's like a former political guy who is the chief of staff of the current president. And then there's the current president. All three of those guys, Andy Miller, James Thrasher, and Coburn, are all leaving likely within the next two years. So you're basically trying to get you know a coach who's like a $7 million a year guy and telling him to just jump into the complete unknown. And the fact that FSU has been so antiquated has really hurt them. They had a perfectly fine AD in Stan Wilcox. They hire Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart seemingly was more of the choice of some of the other factions soon after Stan Wilcox leaves for the NCAA. I joked in my column on Yahoo this week, there aren't a lot of people leaving a top AD job voluntarily to go work at the NCAA. Like, it just that's just not a good career path. No, nobody coming up through college athletics is like, man, I want to go to Indianapolis and be a policy wonk and work for the most unpopular organization in sports. That just doesn't happen. So essentially it was a sign where Stan Wilcox looked around and was like, mm, I don't really think this is like the most stable long-term place. And if I'm not going to be in charge, what's the point of being in charge? So FSU whiffed wildly on AD after AD in its last search, comically. It was a little bit like the Auburn search where they ended up with the guy from Buffalo at the end. Florida State should be able to get a really good athletic director, and they haven't been able to do that. So the president shoots his guy over there, and then it becomes more muddled because uh, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know anything about athletics. So long story short, Florida State's a mess. And I, I put together a, a, a list of you know replacements on Yahoo this week. It's, it's topped by Franklin, Cristobal, Rule, Fleck, and Matt Campbell. And I don't think any of those guys will go because of the reason there. So I think you're in like a Mike Norvell, Mark Stoops, Scott Satterfield-ish, you know, maybe Brent Venables or Tony Elliott if they want an assistant. But I think they're going to want an established head coach because things were went so poorly under Willie. So that is like a state of the union of Florida State as a university and athletic department right now. That may have been way more than you bargained for, but that's where we are. All right. So, Pete, here's something I need to understand. Why is there... Uh, the point, like, why would Willie Taggart have an $18 million buyout? Can you explain to me what these universities, and maybe this is part of the dysfunction you're talking about, but for jobs like this, there are a lot of people that want these jobs. Why do they have to give them these kind of contracts when there's a lot of people that want I mean, that is insane to me, and I'm surprised they're frankly even doing it. Well, the buyout is something that behind the scenes, the ADs, the agents in that whole world spend so much time thinking about and talking about. Um, and it really only comes up when a coach is getting fired or getting plucked somewhere else. Part of the reason there was 18 at this juncture was that there was just no inch in heck that they were going to fire this guy after two years. So the, the buyout after two years shouldn't matter. 
and they tend to be on like de decreasing scales. I don't know that the, you know, what it would have been after three and four years off the top of my head, but it would have been precipitously less. So basically, if you're paying an $18 million buyout, administratively, it's your fault. Like you picked a lemon coach and then you way over guaranteed him. And that's it's, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, you know, it, it varies greatly uh, by school by school how much of contracts are guaranteed. But a lot of times guys won't go unless their contracts are fully guaranteed. Willie Taggart, I'm, you know, off the top of my head, probably had like a, you know, a, a five year, $25 million deal. And so it makes sense after two years that it ends up being 17, 18 million. And then I believe both his coordinators were on three. He just brought in Kendall Bryles, the OC, definitely on a three-year deal. By the time you wipe out the staff, you end up around 20, 21 million. Yeah, so both just, Ross and I, yeah, it, it just, I mean, two years is quick to fire a guy, but clearly the direction of that program went south so fast they had no choice, especially given the noise the boosters were going to be making. You are off to LSU, Alabama on Thursday for that Saturday game. The president of the United States, by the way, will attend. Who do you like there and why? Well, I, I'm not very political. I'll say this about the president. He's always a logistical nightmare. <laughs> Everyone can agree, a bipartisan agreement, that it will take a long time to get into the stadium on Saturday. So, any of our any of our listeners down there in that uh, in the SEC belt that are headed over to Tuscaloosa, a lot of little extra time and uh, be ready to get patted down. Um, I uh, generally I'm, I'm excited for this game. I think it's going to be a great game, a close game. It's a very even matchup on paper. There are vulnerabilities on both sides that maybe haven't been exploited that we'll get a chance to see. I'm going to give Alabama the edge, uh, assuming Tua is like a, a reasonable replication of the Tua we remember. I feel like this is the game where Alabama's receiving core can really shine. I think if there's a dominant position group in this game, it's Alabama receivers. I had you know two coaches. I'm doing a breakdown story for later in the week, and I had two coaches tell me that the Alabama receivers could be the best collection in the history of college football. And what Tua does so well is they run through the ball, and he allows them in Sark's offense with a lot of like West Coast horizontal passes – to get ahead of steam and go. Uh, LSU has an excellent secondary. It might not be the secondaries of past in some cases, uh, although there are some elite guys in there that are going to be in first rounders. The, the, the reason why I think Alabama is going to win is I don't think LSU has the horses up front to pressure Tua. And I don't care if you, if you bring back the Honey Badger and Jamal Adams. If you give Tua seven or eight seconds and you have those receivers, they're going to find a crease and get open. And so the loss of divinity to suspension um, and then just a averages grits LSU up front. Now they are massive. Alabama is going to have to really not be the Alabama we remember. LSU's defensive linemen are just large human beings, but they're not dynamic and they're not going to get after the passer. And so if LSU can't get at Tua, Alabama will figure out a way to outscore LSU. So I want to ask you, Pete, about the other big matchup of undefeated teams. I'm not talking about Princeton and Dartmouth at Yankee Stadium, although I'd be happy to if anybody would like me to later in the show because that is the, the key yeah. matchup. <laughs> uh, but it's Penn State and it's Minnesota. And I guess the question there, Pete, is, is Minnesota for real? Like, is this going to be a good game or or – is Penn State going to uh, pull away from them pretty easily? I think Penn State's going to win, but I do think it's it's going to be a good game. I, I feel like the skepticism of Minnesota as a team is rooted in two things. One, 
Uh, a lot of people watched them early in the season when they eked out games against South Dakota State and Fresno and Georgia Southern, and it was like, oh, Minnesota's not very good and wrote them off. And, and I give P.J. Fleck a ton of credit. They All they've done is gotten better, and they've emerged from sort of that slog of the West as, as, as a favorite to win it. And remember, they smacked Wisconsin at the end of last season and then won a bowl game, and they've really carried on that, that momentum since then. Uh, I feel like some of the skepticism of Minnesota is tied to skepticism of P.J. Fleck. Football and football convention and coaches and, you know, old school journalists cannot embrace P.J. Fleck because he's different. He looks different. He sounds different. He runs a program completely different than anyone else. But guess what, guys? It works. He had Western Michigan four years ago, 13-0, and and in the Cotton Bowl, which is totally mind-bending. Completely mind-bending. That's like rare air stuff, like Urban Meyer at Utah type stuff. All right? And now here he's done it. He has Minnesota again. They hadn't started 8-0 since 1940. Like he's totally blowing up all these conventions again because he's a good football coach. And he has a team that's good but probably not great playing over itself. I want to ask you about a bizarre story that turned up this past weekend involving Florida State. Uh, Miami defensive back Bubba Bolden, his season is over celebrating an interception. Dumbest sports injury you can think of. Well, whew, that has to be uh, that has to be up there. That's about the only uh, the only thing old school about that Miami uh, Florida State game, which is just completely buzzless and really just useless. Like there was the only the only national resonance of that game was Florida State was so bad they fired their coach. Uh, I'm trying to recall a comparable dumb sports injury. I remember a baseball pitcher once in the clubhouse attempting to rip a phone book. This was a while ago because people actually had in phone half. books around. In half. Yeah. It did not work. Half. It did not work. Who? And he went on the DL. All right. I'm going to look that up while Ross asks, asks you a question. We'll find that guy. All right. So, Pete, I, I don't want I, – I know you have a lot of candidates in your head. I, I that That's not what this question's about. This question's about – I'm even seeing this morning that there's all kinds of buzz now about Rutgers and Greg Schiano reuniting. You totally shot down the Bob Stoops Florida State thing. By the way, driving back after last night's Monday Night Football, they were saying that TV stations in Florida State, in Florida and Tallahassee were saying that they were closing in on a deal, should have it by the end of the week. I'm glad you shot that down. What about Schiano and Rutgers? I think he's been the favorite uh, this, this entire time. And it's just going to be a matter of, you know, if both sides want to move forward and make a deal. I, I don't think it's, it's been any, any secret that he is their target and should be their target. And if they do not get Greg Schiano, it, you know, they, it really drops in terms of the caliber of coach that they can get. So, um, I think that, yeah. And if that happened, I would imagine it would happen, you know, sometime within the next two weeks because of the early signing period, you're going to want to bring him in and try to revive some of his New Jersey connections and salvage what I can assure you is a terrible Rutgers recruiting class right now. 
All right, I want to get your final take on college basketball tonight. Maybe I'm the only one excited. You've got one versus two, three versus four, that being Duke, Kansas at Madison Square Garden. This is as good a tip-off to any season as we can think of. Michigan State, Kentucky, the one-two matchup uh, at primetime. What's the biggest thing to get excited about tonight in a post-Zion college basketball landscape? I mean, I, I give college basketball a, a lot of credit that that like the, the the season used to start with like Pitt URI on ESPNU and it was like totally and completely buzzless. So uh, I'm most excited that there's actually a reason to be excited and that for the past couple years, the NCAA has done a really good job of of just getting getting relevance back to the sport. Look, this is a sport that's that struggled um, in, until really after the Super Bowl, you can argue, um, getting getting mainstream fans and mainstream followers. So if, if people don't watch tonight, they're not going to watch until February, basically. But also, I give the leagues credit. There's like Virginia's at Syracuse this week. There are a ton of games where if you're a college basketball fan, you're going to want to watch. And it used to be just a complete load of like Canisius versus Texas times a thousand in November. So and then the good games used to be blips. Now the good games are a little more common. There's league games. I feel like college basketball leaders have embraced the irrelevancy of November, December and done something to change that. But if you want one thing to watch with your son at Madison Square Garden tonight, and we'll tie it back to football, I'm going to say it's Vernon Carey Jr., son of Vernon Carey, top five recruit, big boy, 6'10", 270 for the, uh, for the Blue Devils. I'm excited to see him in the low post. But spoiler alert, he ain't Zion. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait for that one. And it's a good point about what college basketball has done to generate some early uh, early season excitement. Pete Dammel from Yahoo Sports. Catch him. The Yahoo Sports College podcast with he, Dan Wetzel, Pat Forty. They have got it all covered for you. They will break. Who will? coach florida state now that you took a blowtorch to that entire program thank you pete appreciate the time man hey thanks guys uh so yes ross i am going tonight to madison square garden duke you're talking about three and four i mean one and two three and four same night same location i know games only matter in march but wouldn't you love to see college football do something similar right out of the gate, bring me the best and most exciting matchups? Or would you hate that because of the cost of a loss? No, I would love it because I don't think the cost of a loss is as much as other people do, especially hmm. if it's week one and especially if it's to an outstanding opponent. It's one reason why I think Oregon has a great chance to make the college football playoff. People barely even remember that they lost to Auburn. They dominated that game for the most part. Auburn's not a great team, but they're pretty darn good. They have a ridiculous schedule. And I think when it comes down to it, Oregon will benefit from having played that game, unlike Oklahoma, which didn't play a marquee game like that. And I think if they're both one-loss teams, Oregon gets in and Oklahoma doesn't. So I wish they did more of that. I love the college basketball is doing that tonight. I love the energy, passion, and pageantry of college football and college basketball. Love going to college basketball games. They're quick. There's the, the crowd, the energy. I, I just don't remember it being like this. And maybe it's just because I'm so involved 
with football media. But I don't remember it being like this, Dave, where nobody even talked seemingly about college basketball until after the Super Bowl. I mean, growing up, I used to watch college basketball in December and January, and I liked it, and I watched the Big East and Syracuse, Georgetown, Villanova, UConn. Like, I I was into it. Is it just because I'm older, or did something happen where we just totally stopped caring about college basketball until after the Super Bowl? Well, I think a lot of it is regional. I I don't think there is just where we are in the country. There's not as much college basketball interest. Now, at least for me, that's what it is, because back in Colorado, you can feel a lot more. If you're in North Carolina, you feel it more. If you're in California or Florida, you feel it more. But up here in the Northeast, not a lot. But it's also been the NFL schedule, the NFL dominance spreading out over seven days a week, over 12 months a year. And now 16 million people are watching each and every Every NFL game pretty hard to make a dent with all the NFL football coverage, but it is as good a tip off to any sport you will ever see one, two, three, and four at MSG and tomorrow night, North Carolina and Notre Dame, Virginia and Syracuse. Great start to the college basketball season. We're going to take a quick break here. Remember only five minutes of commercials per hour here on home and home, the competition doing at least twice that most of them four times that when we come back some social media advice to professional athletes, some do's, some don'ts and the future for the Philadelphia Eagles at the wide receiver position. What do they do now that D Looks like he is done for the year, not getting a lot of contributions from the wide receiver position. And Kurt Wheeler from the Tallahassee Democrat will respond to Pete Dammel blowing up the entire Florida State program. That's after a quick break here on Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.